If you are a businesswoman working to amplify your six and seven figure business from success to significance, then you know it's not just about the right strategies or the right tactics. It's more and more about high caliber people around you, your team, your collaborators, and advisors that can open doors for you and widen your reach. Welcome to your Circle of Influence podcast with your hosts, Dr. Monica Ogando and Amy Walker. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of your Circle of Influence podcast. I am your co-host, Dr. Monica Ogando. And I'm Amy Walker. We are thrilled that you're here because we want to talk to you. We want to talk to you about something that is very present for all of us in this moment of now, and we believe it is urgent that we address it. Yeah. So the conversation that we, uh, that I was asking Monica about is how do we stay engaged without feeling just drawn in and angry and frustrated with the world that we live in? Um, You know, we are, we just passed Juneteenth Mm -hmm. and we are still needing a lot of progress in our world. We've been through a horrible, horrific mass shootings in the last month. And I found myself feeling like, I don't know that I want to create space to engage with what's going on because it's so heavy. Mm -hmm. And yet I don't want to sit by and just watch without doing anything. So we wanted to have a conversation around how do you find that balance between knowing that you do need to protect your own emotional well-being without emotionally disconnecting from what's going on in the world and staying staying present for it. Yes. And one of my big um givens, you know like when when you're in high school and you had to take the geometry class and then when you had to prove a theorem they give you some givens, given that angle A equals whatever. Um, then you have to prove the theorem. So I kind of operate my life in that way. And I have some givens. And one of my givens is that I pay attention to my words in order to get a clue as to what assumptions I'm operating out of. Mm -hmm. I observe my conversations to see what the hidden commitments of my conversations are. You've heard me talk about the conversation underneath the conversation. And so when I hear somebody say like, you know, protect your emotional well-being, it, it assumes that somewhere out there, there is something harming your emotional well-being mm-hmm. or that giving in to rage is somehow not the appropriate response. And I'm, and I'm going to challenge those assumptions. I'm going to tweak it a little bit. And I'm going to say that when I take care of my emotional well-being and when I honor my rage and not just let it loosey-goosey, but when I mm-hmm. honor my emotions and when I give them a, a place to be expressed and witnessed. And when I take care of my emotional well-being, I am better equipped to handle the ups and the downs that are going on in this world and to be available to be compassionate and empathetic with other human beings that perhaps are going through this tragedy in a more direct way. Mm -hmm. Because after the mass shooting in Buffalo, for example, then Mm -hmm. we had the mass shooting in Uvalde. And these are the ones that we just heard about incessantly 
not right. to speak of the 25 or so mass shootings that happened after Uvalde that we haven't heard about. Right. And so I, I think it was a, I think it was a hundred in the week following Uvalde that had four or more deaths from gun yeah, violence. Right. And so, you know, it, it makes me, it gives me pause because I can't, I can't imagine. And, and I'm hesitant to say that because it's, it sounds so, I don't know, empty to me, but I can't even imagine what it's like to bury one child, never mm-hmm. mind 19 of them in one community. Mm-hmm. And there's such a deep value in black, brown, and indigenous people of color's communities in our culture. Our, mm-hmm. One of the things that black, brown, and indigenous uh, communities of color have in common is that we um, believe in the collective. Mm-hmm. And that there's always a sense of the collective in our communities, the, the whole individual thing. That, that's a very European thing of mm-hmm. it's just me and, and I disown people who don't feel or think like me, et cetera. They're, they're not one of us. Whereas with us, it's like, no, even if you don't think or feel like me, you still mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still have to claim you. I still have to correct you. I still have to call you in or call you out. Um, and so I think that that penchant in our culture is becoming more and more relevant globally. We mm-hmm. are the global majority. We already have that in our culture. And now other people from different cultures, particularly European cultures, are, are seeing the value mm-hmm. of collective accountability. That I have to look at myself individually and say, how is it that I am allowing this in my world? If for nothing else, for my negligence or my apathy? And how can we collectively do something about it together so that we can feel like we're walking around in this world, like we're operating from the same side of the table and not like we are adversaries or enemies at worst. Yeah. So I I don't have more answers. I have more questions than answers, but I think that um, when we can give each other the space to rage, uh, I remember a couple of years ago, Amy, when, when the assassination of George Floyd was broadcast for everybody to see, it began a conversation amongst um, my white friends that there was something that I had already known and that in my community had already been known for a long time. And, Mm -hmm. and we always felt gaslit when our white friends were like, well, if he only had complied, well, if you only, you just do what you're told, or if only you were just doing, you know, if you weren't doing something illegal, you have nothing to worry about. blah blah blah. And it just felt such a guy sliding because like, okay, there are people who are in the sleep. How do you explain that? There are people who are just walking. How do you explain that? They just have skittles in the back. How do you explain that? And now you get to see with your own two eyes, oh shit. <laughs> the thing that my black and brown friends were telling me was true all the time. I just needed to see it with my own two eyes. And there were some people who responded to that was like, no shit, Sherlock. Mm-hmm. And resentful that it took you so long to, to hear us screaming in our pain. Um, black women and brown women have been at the, uh, have been victims of the health industry, <laughs> uh, for a long time, black maternal rates have been suffering and infant mortality rates, et cetera, et cetera. And now that Roe v. Wade is up for discussion. Now you want to pay attention. So there's like this indignation and this rage that you don't just get to, or it's not fruitful, I should say to just vomit that on, on anybody who will listen. 
mm-hmm. I think this is why we had an uh, we have a uh, episode coming up about vulnerability being your superpower. Um, and one of the things that we mentioned in that episode is that you, you get to create a sacred space where that can be witnessed. Mm-hmm. Because my vulnerability is not tragedy porn for mm-hmm. the public. Yeah. And so when you can create safe spaces, sacred spaces to be witnessed, especially, uh, for example, with you, one of the one of the episodes that we did in that uh, in 2020 in our first season was having this conversation as though you were speaking for white women and as though I was speaking for black and brown um, women. And in, in, a, in such a way, we were able to have a converse, very difficult conversations that we wouldn't otherwise be able to have had it not been in the foundation of our friendship. Yeah. And I think that's how we allow our rage to be a useful fuel for change as opposed to, you know, um, just derail the conversation and, and, and become another problem that we have to deal with. You know, it's interesting because after that conversation, I didn't know where to put my energy. And so I was putting more of my energy into posting online and so shocked with how many crazy people are in the world (laughs) that I was like, uh, I had one of my black friends be like, do you know these people? And I was like, actually, I don't. Mm -hmm. I I literally do not know these people. But it was amazing to me how much uh, speaking out like people come out of the woodworks just to fight and argue and create contention. And in that moment, I was like, you know what? Forget this. This is accomplishing literally nothing. Mm. But what I am going to do is I'm going to take that energy and I'm going to put it into something that's going to actually count or it's going to actually help or it's going to actually serve. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I started increasing my volunteerism time. And started increasing my time actually engaged in my community and finding ways to make a difference and, you know, writing letters and Mm -hmm. uh, reaching out to people. Mm -hmm. And it's, it has felt better to me to take the sorrow and to actually, and the grief and the anger and the hurt and to like, not ignore it, but to understand that I need time to sit with it. So mm-hmm. I can't let it be present all the time or you're non-functional, but I need to find time to like allow myself space to feel it and to sit in it. Like when I first saw about the shootings, both of them, both of them, I was like, this is not my moment to feel it, mm-hmm. but I'm going to feel it here. Mm-hmm. And I like found my time and my space when I could do that, experience the feels and then ask the question afterwards what do I intend to do now? Mm. Because I I think it's really easy to look back in history and say, this is who I would have been in that moment. You know, if I had lived in Nazi Germany, I would have been helping the Jews escape. If I had lived during the civil rights movement, I would have walked with Dr. King. But the most important thing we can do is we can look at it and say, who am I in this world? This moment. Do I sit back and do I excuse and do I defend and do I you know, say, well, it's not my place or it's not my responsibility, or do I take an active participation knowing that my efforts alone are not really going to make a difference, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's a lot of individual efforts that turn into that collective that I think can create movement and can get things done. Yeah. And this is, this is the part where it reminds me of the starfish story. You've heard me tell the story of the little Mm -hmm. boy who was 
you know, there were a lot of starfish that were beached that were just, if they're not thrown back in the water, they would die. They have to be back in the water. And he was throwing, he would pick one up and throw it in the water, pick another one up, throw it on. But there's thousands of them that were on the beach. And this cantankerous old man looks at him. He's like, boy, what are you doing? You, can't you see there's thousands of them that you won't make a difference. And he picks one up, looks at it and throws it in the water. And he says, hey, I made a difference with this one. Mm-hmm. And I think when we operate from that place, I may not be able to do everything. But I can do what I can do. Yeah. And when we add those, I can do what I can do. Eventually, that is how we shift the consciousness of the planet. Just like that Margaret Mead quote says, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. And so it may not be, uh, you know, global protests like we saw the summer of 2020. It may mm-hmm. just be a book club in your neighborhood. It may just be a conversation with your church friends. It may just be writing to your congressman or to your to your senator, or it may just be, um, you know, voting with your dollars. However, those little acts of commitment and conviction add up to, you know, changing the world. I'm going to get controversial. Are you ready for this? All right. So here's the, here's the controversial thing I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. I am personally writing letters asking for stricter gun laws. I see no purpose in semi-automatic rifles outside of like the military, mm-hmm. but in, in our form, like, I'm sorry, your recreation is not worth children's lives and people's lives. Yeah. And I, I'm writing letters on that. If you vehemently disagree with that, what letters are you writing to help with mental health? What letters are you like, what are you going to do? And yeah. so I, I don't think there is a person alive in our country. Well, except for the people who did it mm-hmm. and other crazies, but the majority of us, we are not okay with what's going on. Mm-hmm. So whether you want to solve the problem the way that I solve the problem, or you want to solve the problem from a different way, I don't think we get to sit back anymore and just live with it because it is not getting better. It is getting worse. Yeah. And there are so many issues like that in our, in our country where it's not getting better, it's getting worse. So sitting by and not participating, it's just no longer working. Mm-hmm. So pick whatever your side is, pick your way that you are going to help come after that issue. Yeah. And create spaces for yourself where you can vent. I'll tell mm-hmm. you something that there, there are conversations that I have had with white women friends that are exhausting. It's mm-hmm. exhausting to have to explain my humanity to somebody who claims to be my friend and, and my humanity should not have to be litigated or the humanity of anybody that looks like me. And then there are Uh, conversations that I have with my white women friends, such as you, Amy, that feel, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not nourishing necessarily, but at least validating, like, oh, she hears me. Oh, she Mm -hmm. sees me. Oh, I matter to her. And in a world that constantly, systematically tells a particular group of people, you don't count, you don't matter, you're not valued, or at least not as much as these other counterparts, It matters to surround yourself with people who look and feel and think differently than you and say, and you still matter to me. Mm -hmm. I may not see what you see. I may not agree with what you see. I may not understand what you see, but I believe you because I love you and you matter to me. 
And if this is negatively mm-hmm. affecting you, I'm on your team to get this changed, even if it doesn't affect me. Yeah, I, I here will be my controversial statement number two. I think that there's something about the Europeanism, colonialism, mm-hmm. that thinks that we have to win through taking. And right. that, like, I mean, that was that was colonialism right there, right? Like we yeah. win through taking. But now there's this sense that still is lingering that for you to get what you need, it's going to have to take it from me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this conversation with a Facebook person mm-hmm. who was talking about, you know, these new uh, real estate laws that are basically creating a, a segregation geographically based on income. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, what am I supposed to do about this? You know, and I, I, I had used the example of the school districts in my area. So the school districts in my area are ridiculous mm-hmm. in during segregate or during integration, they, they create, they're like, okay, you're going to make us integrate our schools. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to create school city school districts specifically designed around areas where only white people live. Mm-hmm. And they're still there, but now they are um, socioeconomic. So anytime an apartment building gets built where lower income people are likely to move, they annex that to the county. So we have these city school districts. There's two of them. And we're in this one small county with you know, a small population. We have four high schools in the full whole county, and we don't even really need four. We need three, but they are continuing to protect this mm-hmm. isolationism and mm-hmm. other people can't come in. And then you look at, and in my county, it's not such a big deal, but if you look in other parts of our state, you'll have a county that their schools are failing. Like they're rated ones and twos and you look at it and it's like 97% African-American right next door to it is a county with schools that are like excelling, like one freeway exit away. And you look at that and it's like 87% Caucasian. Mm -hmm. So it is an issue. Like it's a legit issue. And he, I was bringing this up to him and like, listen, here's what you're not seeing is how this affects other places. And he said, well, what am I supposed to do? Have my kids go to failing schools? I was like, absolutely not. But if you really want to know what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to figure out how do we distribute so that we can have all the schools win. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to make your school worse to make another school better. Nobody's asking for that. But there's this idea that in order to give you more, I have to have less, Mm -hmm. that it's just absolutely not true. So in order to protect our children at school, it doesn't mean that you have to lose your second amendment, right? It just means we got to use some common sense, right? You know, like it doesn't have to be so black or white. So one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And I, I see that a lot. And I think it is, I I believe in the, we pass on belief system through our DNA. I think it is like this old colonialism uh, or colonization yeah, the colonizer mentality. that we have this mentality that we're seeing the flip side of it, which is we took things from everyone else. And now we're worried that when they get ahead, they're going to take from us. It's just, That's right. it's not the yeah. reality. And it's not that it's not just that you did it to black and brown people. You did it to each other. <laughs> That's why the UK yeah. became the, the, you know, United Kingdom because you took shit from each other too. Right. (laughs) And then when you spread out, then you that's just your culture. Right. And not to say that's just your culture, like minimizing that, because there is a place. There is a place for all the parts of human consciousness, including the taking. 
Mm-hmm. However, when we do it at the detriment of each other, then it just beca- it snowballs all of us into destruction. Patriarchy isn't just negative for women, it is negative for men as well. Colonizer mentality isn't bad for the colonized only. It's also, look at the paranoia that it creates on the colonizers, children. Mm-hmm. Now y'all think everybody's out to get you because you were out to get everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we have to <laughs> grapple with that guilt and the shame that comes from it. That's not somebody shaming you. That's you having a very natural reaction to some shit that's just not cool to do with other people. Mm-hmm. That's just called being human. And so, yeah, to, to have these conversations in, a, in, a, in an authentic way, the, you know, and grapple the difficult conversations around it, our fears about it, as unjustified as they may be, as biased, as racist as they may be, um, when we speak them, it's just like the monster under the bed. Once we speak them, they no longer have the same power. Ah, Monica, I love that you will go in the deep conversations and I always feel like I come out a little bit better. Amen. Amen. All right. We would love to hear from you guys. How are you staying present, staying engaged um, without feeling like you're living in a ball of anger all of the time? And we hope that, you know, maybe some of our thoughts or perspective has have helped, um, have enlightened, have shifted. Uh, but we are open to hearing from you. So leave us a comment, leave us a review, connect with us online. And we look forward to chatting with you again in our next episode. Thank you so much, everybody. Talk to you soon.